It's inside the SCCA. We are at the 60th running of the SCCA runoffs. With me is Tom Gorman, one of the voices of the SCCA runoffs, among other things. Yeah, crazy, right? Yeah, it's pretty awesome, isn't it? It's my sixth year running, uh, doing the broadcast commentary. Yeah. And I mean, I'm a huge racing fan. So when they asked the first time if we wanted to commentate qualifying, I realized all I'm doing is talking about cars. Car. Well, I'm talking about racing. Yeah. Like, I'm admittedly not the biggest car guy. I love racing, <laughs> but you know, the car is the tool. But it was, it was so much fun, and they brought us in for the broadcast the next year. So right. the first year we did the broadcast was uh, Sonoma. And I literally just have to be a racing fan right. and, and talk about what's happening and, and show uh, other people who may not understand racing as much as I do how cool it is. Yeah. Like, that's all my job is. It's, it's a ton of fun. Right. I've been wanting to get you on the show for a while. This is actually going to air the Wednesday after the runoffs. Okay. We're recording it live at the racetrack, live to tape at the racetrack. So if you hear, and we're at the Goodyear tent, because, of course, Goodyear is uh, the presenting sponsor of the Inside the SEC at the podcast. So you're going to hear tires being broken down. You're going to hear race cars. You're going to hear the race call in the background. But uh, we're here doing our thing. And uh, I start every podcast with the same question, and that is, how did you get mixed up in this crazy sport that we love? <laughs> well, it being a racing fan. Um, my dad started taking me to Mid-Ohio when I was in diapers. Okay. Uh, two, three years old. And one of my favorite weekends, ironically, was the runoffs. Because sure. it, was that, it was that era where I had just moved from Road Atlanta to, to Mid-Ohio. And it was my favorite because it was all racing. Like right. every other weekend, we would go to every spectator weekend. And, and I loved the racing, of course. Uh, I loved being up close and, and personal with the cars. But I was always scared of how loud they were and all that and paddock. And I got really intimidated. But I loved watching the racing, right? right. So I grew up hanging on the fence at Mid-Ohio. Just uh, being a massive racing fan, and it turned into Hot Wheels, which turned into slot cars and RC cars and racing simulators and video games, and that w that was the only thing that I was ever intensely passionate about. Yeah. Uh, where you know my brother had dinosaurs and action figures and this and that, yeah. and, you know, like normal kid stuff. Uh, anyway, so my cousin started autocrossing, and uh, he's about ten years older than me. Sure. Uh, and I should say, my dad and I were always fans, but we were never participants. Right. He always had a fun car but we've never done any sort of driving, anything like that. My cousin started autocrossing. We learned what that was. We went to an event with him finally and saw it and realized, oh, this is a very achievable, a very attainable uh, version of motorsports we can actually participate in. I was about 14 at the time. Since we're live, I'm just going to tell I mean, there's chairs. Pick up a chair, folks. Have a seat oh. and enjoy. We're, yeah. we're, we're, we're at the, the racetrack, so we're, we're, banks do, of adoring we're, fans we're breaking all of the rules here. I'm talking to the fans yeah. and everything. <laughs> the uh, Toms are doing – they're not coming to, to listen to me talk. They're coming to listen to you talk. <laughs> sure. Um, um, so that's a story that's typical, but did anybody in your family actually race? No. No. So, that, so be, because my cousin found the autocrossing, right. uh, uh, then we learned what it was. And I just fell in love with the driving and the competition. My dad didn't care so much for the autocrossing competition part. Right. He liked the driving a little bit. But I just fell into it with my cousin. Yeah. I started nationally autocrossing. I started uh, that really, really early on in my autocrossing. And then after about seven years of that, I finally won my first national championship. And that turned into, well, now what am I going to do? I've done everything you can do with autocrossing. And in that time, I kind of realized, well, I'm not going to, you know, no one's calling me because I won an autocross national championship. Right. I want to try road racing. Yeah. So I'd saved up a bunch of money, and I bought my first improved touring race car, mm -hmm. and I did a season of that. I achieved all my goals with that in the first season. And then it was like, well, now what? And that, 
that's where my pro racing career began. So we're at the runouts, but let's talk about something because yeah. I just did my first solo nationals. Okay. We took the podcast there. Yeah. And I was just going to go and do what I do, my podcast stuff. And uh, when I when I decided I was going to go, and uh, and thanks to Mazda for le- helping us get there, um, uh, the the folks at SCCA were like, "Well, you're going to drive, right?" And I'm like, "No, I'm, <laughs> I'm just going to go do my thing." Well, no, no, you, you're going to drive, and I'm like, "They're uh, like, uh, does not compute." <laughs> and I'm like, oh, "I don't really have a car." He goes, "Well, you've got a Honda Fit," and I'm like, "Sure, but so you're going to drive." So they very quickly twisted my arm to come and do it. The, my, so I did my uh, two autocrosses this summer in, in L.A. Mm-hmm. before coming out. Before those two autocrosses, the last two autocrosses, the uh, last autocross I had done was probably like 1992. Okay. So I might have the longest gap in my career between one to the next event ever uh, and, and had an absolute blast. So you've been to that event, obviously. You're an autocross national champion, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I had a str- – uh, consistent stream of I think almost every year except my one year I missed for a pro race and okay th- I've missed the last two it's really painful to watch from far away but yeah for like 10 years straight I, I was I was going exactly what what do you love about that event well I, I mean I love the, the sport of autocross like the discipline of autocross is really I think probably my favorite motorsport that might sound a little lame but just the the scope of that you get three chances at the national level right. to do the fastest run with no in, uh, no intel other than what you can pick up from what you know of autocross and walking the course right and you get three chances and that's it and there's no straightaways there's there's never a, there's never a time that you're not doing something right and, and just the adrenaline rush i always compare it to 10 burpees versus a 5k yeah right. you're tired at the end of a 5k but you're so much more tired and your heart's pounding out of your chest at the end of 10 burpees right that's autocross so i i love that rush I love the abstract competition. It's not a defined course like a road course is. Right. It doesn't tell you where to go per se. It just gives you a route that you have to achieve, right. and then you have to find the fastest way through it. I love all that. And then so the National specifically is the biggest version of that. Sure. It's where all my friends are. It's where you know I said I spent seven years doing it before I road raced. I, I can go there and – I'll lose a whole day just walking around talking to people right. because and I could like I need to be somewhere and I can't because I need to, I talk to this person this person this person it's just the it's my it's my people and it's my favorite version of driving I think it, it's see really the only form of motorsports where you have to learn the track without ever driving yeah. the track yeah. in road racing you you get if you don't crash you get 15, 20 minutes of practice, at least on our level here. Sure. You, then you'll get another 15, 20 minutes of qualifying. All this opportunity. And the, a lot of our tracks, there's sim racing that you can do to learn the track. Right. They don't do, do sim races for autocross courses. They do. There, that does exist. Okay. But it's, it's, but it's like, not for like the like course said, you're going to be on. It, correct. And, right. the, and the whole that's why I like the whole thing is very much more abstract. And that's why I get people don't love it so much or people have a hard time latching onto it as much. But I think it fits a certain style of person that, that really latches onto it. And that's why you see people who have gone to literally every solo nationals for 50 some years. Well, literally 50 years. I think this is the 50, 50th one. Right. And it seems to me that people who start in autocross and go into road racing have a better trip than people who start in road racing and go into autocross. Agreed. Because uh, uh, there's there's twofold for that. There's, there's a level of, of, I keep saying, abstract thought that right. has to be applied to an autocross course that is very easy. Once you're like, oh, there's literally a path that tells me exactly where to go. All I have to do is follow the best right. line and drive the car the best. Okay, that's way more easy or way easier uh, in theory. And right. then the other part of it is I think autocross creates masters of weight transfer. That road racing doesn't necessarily demand nearly the car control and the mastery of where the dynamics of the car are to, to go as fast. And I encounter drivers now as a professional coach who are extremely fast and have a very low sense of car control mm-hmm. when things aren't great. Versus autocross, because you have not seen it, because you're driving the car for only three runs, you have to create 
an extreme sense of car control, weight control, weight balance, and you can actually get the car to do more than it should be able to do with small moments of weight transfer in autocross that, yeah, it doesn't come up in, on a road course very often, but when you need it to, especially wheel to wheel, uh, it's a great skill to have. So from autocross, you go to IT, and yep. then, then you end up doing – did you do any other classes in SEC before you went pro racing? No, uh, Well, kind of. I did ITC for a year okay. um, in the Great Lakes region. Okay. But I also had – you know, I, I had met enough people at this point. I held the ARC as this pinnacle event. Which uh, is the American Road Racing Championships held every year in the, in the fall in yep, Atlanta. At Road Atlanta. Which was – we kind of called it the IT National Championships. Right. Because when IT was is a huge thing all around the country, now it's huge in parts of the country. Mm -hmm. um, there, there still is no national championship. Those cars now can go and do a national championship sometimes in production classes. Yeah. But, but when, it, when it was in its heyday, that wasn't an option. So the ARC kind of became the national championship for, for improved touring. Exactly. So I learned all that. I bought my IT car. My three goals for that season were get my road race license, do three weekends, and race the ARC. Uh, I got my license, I did five weekends, and I won the ARC. Okay. So I, I achieved my goals, and, and because I had this mentality from the autocross uh, you know, achievements, it was like I, I want to keep pushing to the next thing until I can't you know, break through that, that barrier. So right. I ended up selling that Civic that I was IT racing. I bought a B-Spec car, okay. and I was kind of comparing Spec Miata, Spec Racer Ford, and B-Spec as my next stepping stone sure. to either national racing or – then B-Spec is obviously eligible for pro racing at the time in World Championship. That's right. So I bought that car with the goal of one pro race. I was going to do a crowdfund campaign to raise the money to do it. Okay. And uh, that was my 2015 season was basically putting this crowdfund out. I bought the car. I don't have the money to race it. And all of my motorsports community and family rallied around me and raised me enough money to do two pro races that year. Yeah. And that's where I met uh, all of the, the network at Honda, right. Honda Racing, and, and ended up getting in with Honda kind of towards the end of that 2015 year. Y your story is kind of the ultimate grassroots motorsport <laughs> story. I mean, it's, it's crowdfunding, improved touring, you know, going up into, a, you know, maybe a B-spec car mm -hmm. and then meeting the guy, people at Honda, impressing them and then going racing with Honda. Yeah. So I, I built a proposal in that time that I had met them. I knew that there was a new fit sitting at HPD. It had been at SEMA. They'd used it for some PR stuff with IndyCar drivers, but it had only raced once as a showcase. Right. They DQ'd themselves every time uh, just to just show the car existed. Sure. And it was sitting there. So actually, David Daughtery and I built a proposal. He was going to club race it for the national championships at Mid-Ohio in 2016. Okay. And I was going to do a full season of TCB and World Challenge. Right. Bounce the car back and forth. And they accepted the proposal. And we were going to pay for everything. Just right. give, us the, give us the tool and we'll make it work. Great. Uh, he won the championship that year and I won the championship that year, both in club and pro. Yeah. To our knowledge, it's the only year that a car has won a pro and club championship in the same, same year. Yeah. Uh, so that was the year that they actually kind of really absorbed me. And by the end of the year, they had told me. Uh, we're, we're developing the new Civic Si, the new 1.5 Turbo that came out in 2017, and we want you to race it. Uh, and that was in World Challenge Touring? In TCA. TCA, right, yes. right, right. Um, and to this, I, I can't believe that ever happened. That doesn't happen. I don't know how to make that happen on purpose. It's, it's wild to me, but uh, I couldn't believe when they, when they said that. And all I could say was, can I have some time to think about it? Because I couldn't process it yeah. in the moment that they wanted me to race this car. Yeah. You know, professionally, basically. So I get parents that come up to me all the time. You know, I, I'm, I'm a big mouth and I'm a face and I'm... Sure. And, and, and how do I get my kid into pro racing? How do I get... You know, talk about the proposal for a minute because that's, that's a huge part. 
it's not just being able to drive a car fast. It's being able to talk well in front of a camera. Yeah. It's being able to do all the stuff that you've now kind of followed into here. You, you're obviously good at it, but t talk to us a little bit about the proposal you had to put together. Sure. So I, I, I was kind of learning on the fly. You know, I didn't go to college, um, but I have, a, I have a father who started his own business. Uh, he was very, mar uh, very marketing and, mm -hmm. and business development savvy, so he would kind of he never did it for me, but he helped me understand what I needed to do, and I would talk to other people, all this. So I learned what a marketing deck was, or right. a proposal deck, and I basically built this slideshow. Uh, and the key things that I wanted to take away, or wanted people to take away from it, uh, image heavy, right? not a lot of words, right? Uh, make sure that they understand my presence, my following, my impact, uh, so social media numbers, uh, viewership numbers for the races that I had already done. Um, very little to really do with my actual accolades. Like, mm -hmm. it wasn't a resume. It was, right. it was a sales pitch. And then uh, just a couple of details about what I wanted to do and what those races were going to be. So I know that World Challenges on TV, they put out a marketing deck every year for the drivers to use to say, this is our viewership. These are our socials. I include all that. Um, beyond that, you know, I, I, I did a lot of art stuff. Before I was going into college, I kind of thought I wanted to be graphic designer. Uh -huh. So I think I did a lot of my own uh, social media and a lot well that was a separate thing but I did a lot of my own image designs kind of uh, someone told me along the way write your own press releases and send them to the series so yep. I was writing my own press releases as if, as if I had a marketing team right but it was my images that I made in my own computer on Photoshop and wrote my own articles and you, you can kind of cheat the system a little bit right. and then when you're at the track, it's all about networking. Right. You need to go to the, if you go to the announcers and ask to talk, trust me, I'm an announcer right now. If you come and tell me everything about you, I'm just going to regurgitate it verbatim. Absolutely. When you're on the screen. Absolutely. Uh, or doing stuff like this. Right. Uh, if you can get out there and put yourself in front of as many people as possible, genuinely. Right. That's the key word is doing it in a genuine manner. Uh, and it's a tricky balance to find. And I think it's easy to overthink. But... That's kind of what I've learned. Well, and it, it drives some of us nuts who are, who are big race fans that some of the most successful drivers in having long careers were not the fastest drivers. Yeah. You know, and, and I won't name any names, but we all know who they are, um, who were really good at finding the funding, taking care of their sponsors, and then they show up at the racetrack. The other thing is not wrecking cars. Yeah. You know, if you can come up, bring money, um, and, and drive well, not necessarily win a lot of races, you know, but, but bring the car home with four wheels pointing in the right direction, um, you're going to drive race cars. Yeah. You know, so, um, uh, so, so this is your sixth year. Did you ever run the, drive the runoffs? No, I attempted three times, and I always came up. I, I think at the time it was four race starts across three majors okay. was the, the quickest way to right. do it. And right. I, would, I always had four races across two majors. Right. And I never made it to, f to the third. But I attempted in, uh, it was going to be 17, 18, and 19. Yep. Were going to be the three that I tried. And I, I came up short every year. Yeah, yeah. Just ran out of time. I was, woe was me. I was racing too much other places to find time to make right. the last majors every time. So what are you currently doing on track? Uh, honestly, I find myself most of the time doing professional driver coaching. Okay. That's, uh, you know, so I had my marketing or my, my marketing, my racing contract with Honda 2016 through 2019, right. uh, was to be renewed for 2020 COVID happened right. right in that negotiation stage. Long story short, I'm not, uh, renewed there. So I had to find my own business. Right. Somehow I'd find income really is like, sure. how, how do I live? So, uh, driver coaching became a very organic way for me to use my, my knowledge and my expertise to make money, but also something that I was already kind of lightly doing and right. I just formalized it and started it advertising it. So I get to drive most of the time as a reference lap or a data lap for somebody else, right. but I get to do a decent amount of endurance racing. Um, 
I spent all of last year racing, uh, really the last three years racing with Gridlife in a sprint series. Okay. It's a little bit of a different version of the same thing we're doing here. And, uh, and yeah, that's, that's what I've been up to. Right, right. So um, w what um, the, the whole world of coaching has changed a lot. You know, we have video, which is not terribly new, but now it's at a price point where everybody's got video, and yeah. in the SECA it's required. Yeah. So everybody has video, and then there's now sim simulators, and even the home simulators are pretty darn good. Yeah. Um, is that a lot of what you do, remote-type coaching, or are you at the track with people, or I'm both? Mostly at the track. Okay. Uh, I've done a little bit remote um, between either simulators or, you know, they're at the track, and then we go over data on a Tuesday afternoon after they sure. come back home. Sure. Uh, that can definitely be very effective, but most of what I'm doing is at the track, track side with the video and the data systems that are all very, to your point, very attainable at this point. Right, right. Um, I, I almost am never in the car. Uh, not my favorite thing. Very, very dangerous. So. Yes. Vet, your, vet whoever you're riding with, please. Uh, yeah, we, we've actually had people who lost their lives being yeah, right seat coaches, and, and that's just, not something you want to do. And I don't find it to be necessarily the best learning environment because it can be very stressful to have somebody in the car with you telling you what you're supposed to be doing or right. distracting you from what you are doing by telling you what you needed to have been doing. Right. Uh, so all that to say, I do all of it with video and data. Um, you know, the... The more integrated the data system is, the easier it is. Right. But even just, I think video is 70, 80% of it. And then you can prove that where the lap times lie in either comparison laps where I'm setting the reference and the other driver has to try to you know, catch up where right. they were slow. Uh, or even just comparing their lap to lap to lap, you can find inconsistencies. Simple things like, are you achieving brake uh, peak brake pressure? Are, is your braking technique proper? Is your, uh, you know, the, the, the quickness with, with, you, with which you transfer the car? You can find all that in simple G traces right. now. Uh, let alone whether if you have the car with uh, steering angle or uh, you know throttle pressure, brake pressure, all that stuff. So again, the more integrated it is, the better. But uh, you yeah. can you can do a lot with with very little now to become a better driver. Can you make me a good driver? Sure. <laughs> I'll, I'll get you uh, my day rate. <laughs> uh, that's good. I'm I'm good with that. Yeah. I'm good with that. Yeah, I did a coaching session. You know, in autocross, you've got 45 seconds to coach someone. Yeah. And the best part was the guy who sat in the car next to me didn't say a word to me in the run. Didn't say anything. We got done. He goes, okay, here's what you got to do. Yep. You know, got back in the car by myself, two and a half seconds mm -hmm. right there. You know, and uh, so, so sometimes you just think you know what you're doing. We all think we know what we're doing, you know, until we realize that maybe there are people who are smarter than us who can help us get there a little sure. faster. Yeah, and, and I really kind of cut my teeth with, with coaching in more of an instructor capacity with – uh, with SECA, uh, there's a starting line school is the autocross school. Right. Yep. Uh, and it's fantastic. You don't have to care about autocross. It uses autocross as the way to teach, but it teaches you to become a better driver in the ways I've talked about with, with learning weight transfer, understanding uh, the flow of the weight transfer of the car around its corners and everything like that. So uh, anyway, I learned to teach drivers by doing just that. You're, you're riding in the car and then you review. Right. You ride in the car, you review. Um, if I'm if I'm sitting in the car yelling at them, first of all, they're not really doing anything but yeah, what that's I told not them productive. to do. Yeah, and and it's it's distracting. So that's uh, like trying to teach your kid how to drive, or 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 worse yet, trying <laughs> yeah. to teach your wife how to golf. I, uh, I don't have a wife and I don't golf. So right. I well, I do have both. I do both. Have I have a wife and I golf, and I tried once, and I'm like, no, that's a really bad idea. I have watched my parents try to do taxes together. Oh. Yeah, no, that doesn't sound like. It's fun. the only time I got a little scared. The, yeah, I, I understand. All right, <laughs> we're we're at the runoffs. 
This is your sixth year calling the races here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and when I'm doing the show here, I don't get to watch any of the races. Mm. So I will go home next week. And as I go over the next month or so, I will pick one race a day or one race a weekend, and I will watch all the races. Sure. Um, and, and so I can know what to talk about next year. But um, you and Larry and, um, and Greg, and you guys do such a nice job um, because it's, you all really care about this club and about this racing. Yeah, I, thank you. That means a lot. Yeah. Um, it's been interesting over the last six years how we've kind of transformed and honed in on what, what we're showing. Right. You know, when I started, it was we were kind of stepping in for uh, a, t- a very established professional team, um, and they kind of wanted to, to represent the club a little bit more in the presentation. Right. So Larry is one of the lead announcers for Solo right. uh, nationally, and – I don't know why they picked me, but I try, I, I try to do my best. <laughs> I, you know, I was professionally racing at the time, and I, I guess I have announced it solo, and I was integrated with the club. I was right. running the Trackman in America program uh, at a lot of tracks. So it was just, I was just a constant in, in the SCCA realm. And uh, we, we were the first year, it was still a television package for the most part. Right. We would do st- at least 12 of the races as if they were going to TV. It was right. very regimented. It was very much don't. We're not interactive in much of a way. It's like this is for television. Right. And from 2018 to now, now it's it's more or less solely focused on a YouTube stream right. that runs all day long. Right. We have a, a live chat. We don't necessarily interact with the live chat, but the energy that I can see as I'm watching the race, I literally have the YouTube chat. Right. I have my friends texting me about stuff they're seeing at the track that they know about certain people. So I've done my research, but I'm getting this much more um, organic. Yep presentation i would say right uh and you still have greg creamer and john fippen who are you know consummate professionals right. and then you have larry and i who are club guys right. and we do this once a year we don't necessarily follow club racing super closely throughout the year but right. we do all of the qualifying days we do our research around paddock try to learn as much as we can to present what we think is really cool right to basically our own audience of people who are both doing it or have loved ones or are fans of what's right. going on here Greg Ginsburg and I do all of the Super Tour races. So we yeah. do all 10, ten weeks um, and uh, 20 races. And I, I actually refer to the people in the chat as my associate producers. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Yeah. You know, the associate producers of my chat are telling me that so-and-so, and, and uh, I, I, I try to know that the people giving me the information really are connected to the team somewhat, sure. it, which is, you know, usually the case. Um, but, but the engagement with the people in the chat is, is a ton of fun for me mm-hmm. um, to, you know, t- t- and, I, and I actually call them out by name, you know, and then yeah. they're involved in the broadcast. And, and uh, I think uh, from everyone I've talked to, they, they really enjoy that. So um, it's uh, this whole world of interactive that we have now mm-hmm. that we didn't have 10 years ago. Um, is kind of where the world of broadcast for motorsports is going, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I will say working with you and, and Greg during the week for qualifying and just in, in social interactions is super helpful because you do work every majors. Right. And Larry and I are off doing our own either real jobs or motorsports for the, for the year, and then we get your, your expertise of the year uh, in a very short window of time, and you guys are clearly the same thing. You're, you care so much about yeah. it. So. Yeah, we have a real good time with yeah. it. What, what – um, 
by the way, I know why they have you here. Because you're, you're a young guy, which we need more of that demographic. Sure. Social media following. That may, maybe that was the reason to get you started with it. But, you know, we don't ask you b- people back six times in a row if they're not good at it. Sure. So, um, um, but, you know, how... You know, we've got this thing where we're the secret car club of America. Nobody knows who we are. We don't have enough young kids, old guys like me. How do we get more younger folks to come and do this? Because there's a lot of places. Now, it used to be there was only one place to go racing, and that was SCCA. Yeah. Now we've got Grid Life. We've got WRL. We've got Champ Car. All these different places. Um, and, and, and so we have to do a better job of making ourselves a place where people want to come and play. Yeah, I would say, hmm. I try to be careful with this question to be as tactful as possible uh, so in all capacities. Not that I don't think positively. But well, one of the things we do on this podcast, and I'll be honest, I, I we're, we are we work closely with the SCCA, but this podcast is not owned by the SCCA, sure. and it's that way on purpose yeah. because I like to have have the ability to have re- respectful, constructive, tough conversations. Yeah. So you know, choose your words, but of course, but but let's I, talk about I it. I wanna I wanna uh, be clear with how I'm saying. So the first thing I would say is uh, it, c- it comes with the public perception. Right. Uh, obviously, I've mentioned I've raced with Gridlife the last three years. When I tell people about my experience across all motorsports, IMSA, World Challenge, Gridlife, SCCA, they all feel very similar when you're in the paddock. Right. I will say there's a little bit of a demographic shift depending on each one. Sure. But the events feel very similar. The difference with Gridlife specifically is the presentation of what has happened. It's very similar to here through this, the lens of social media. Right. It's very specifically captured in a way to make it look as cool as possible, to get as many people there as possible as a spectator-specific right. program. Right. Uh, and that means that there's there's videographers and they're, they're capturing the coolest stuff possible. Uh, the media team is actually very small but mighty. It's not that much different from here. Right. But the, the, the energy is focused slightly different, where here is much more focused on maybe uh, making sure there's press releases for the races and driver interviews and... Uh, and capturing a different sense of the same vibe, if that makes sense. Right. Uh, it, it's it's almost the same thing, but in the in the actual practical application of it, it's so different. Right. And, and you can see that if you just go to any social media channel for Grid Life versus SEC. Right. That would be my first recommendation: is to have a little bit of that shift towards showing the coolest possible parts right. of what we're doing, because it's it's not that different. Meaning what we're doing here, it's not that different no. at all. The o- the major difference is no one's drifting here. Right. So you don't have necessarily smoky yeah. tires. And you can't create that cool factor with what we're doing. Well, no, you absolutely can. You get, you just get. A, it's a little bit different. You get the camera as close to the car as possible, and you get, you get the car moving across the surface. You get the car on three wheels. Hop. I mean, we showed an ITS car and the IT. Uh, sorry, the an STL car, leaping curbs and all two, right. you know, these two tires in the air, and they slowed it down for us and stuff. Like, that's still cool. Yeah. Uh, just like I said, in a slightly different way. It's just, just not that different. Yeah. It's just not necessarily as leaned into. Uh, one of the things that I think is a little bit false is there. So there's, there's not a, a wide scope through something like Grid Life or WRL or IMSA. Like they, they mm-hmm. specifically know what they're doing and they do that well. Yeah. We're doing everything. Yeah. Track night, autocross, uh, time trials, road race. There's there's road rally, right? Rally cross. It's a little bit of everything. So the crossover is a little bit 
difficult because right. they're all over the place. Uh, and I don't envy that task of integrating yeah. all of it together. The, the, uh, one, the one thing we do is we do all of that. Correct. You know, Grid Life has, what, 10 events, 15 events a year, tops. Uh-huh. Um, Champ Car does 30 or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, WRL, I think, does 15 or 20. Yep. And, and, and it's, it's one organization putting on the, their premier events every weekend. Yes. Whereas here, as you've just said, you know, we're putting on, I'm going to guess, maybe – Four or five hundred events a year, yeah, and it's not the same team doing obviously five hundred events. No, but what I what I think makes a lot of sense to, and it, I've never understood this necessarily why it's not done more is integrating them as, as much as possible. Right. Uh, you know, having a uh, having track day sessions during road race weekends, having time right. trials during road race weekends. We do that at Cal Club, and they start they've started at certain tracks, and I know not every track can accommodate that, but right. have a road rally. Yeah. At the beginning of a road race day, uh, have an autocross in the whatever amount of paddock you have, you can make an autocross work pretty right. much. Uh, having that crossover, I think, would make all of it seem more integrated. More integrated, even though it's not really changing that much. Right. It's just basically physically putting them in the same place. Sure. Um, and the last part that I was going to say is, we we kind of had a we kind of had a specific. We had a mantra with, with track night. It was always about say yes until you have to say no. Right. Find a way to say yes to all expenses, uh, like at, at, at all costs, unless it's like a safety issue. Sure. Or there, there's, there are certain things that you can't say yes to. Right. And be okay with it not being for everyone. Right. So sometimes we would turn people away. Sometimes we would explain you, this isn't for you. Uh, right now because of this specific reason. But in general, it was, I mean, we would break our backs to say yes to people. Sure. And when I travel to especially more more uh, local regions and, and smaller events, I don't feel that energy. Right. And I don't necessarily feel that energy at other tracks and other events and other organizations either. But I think that's really powerful. If you're, a, if you're in the leadership of your local region, if you're organizing events and you find every physical way to say yes to somebody for right. what they're looking for out of that event until you can't tell them yes, uh, then you're giving basically just good customer service and good experience. People uh, want to come back to that. I've had the good fortune because of my career moving around a, a lot of the country, and I've been a member of, I think, nine regions now. Yeah. Um, and I've played with a lot of regions because I, before I got married, was all over the country doing this from flagging and communications to doing some driving and wrenching, all kind of stuff. And there are definitely some regions who uh, do that a whole lot better than others. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I won't call any of them out by name, but, um, yeah, th- the idea that the customer is, is first, even though we're all a club and we're the same club members, yeah. you know, it's still a customer service situation. Sure. I wish um, I could think of an example, but, uh, yeah, I'll give the example. So I, I wanted to go to Southern Nationals this year. Right. I found out that I could go the Saturday before it began. So it begins on mm-hmm. Tuesday. Right. I know this shouldn't be that li- literally everybody can do this. I, I, I understand there's lines and stuff, but sure. I, I tried really hard to say, like, I can go. Here's, what I, here's my run day. Here's right. all my – like, this is what I could do. And they said, no, it's too late. No one else gets to do that, that kind of thing. I, I, that's a, a kind of twisted example maybe, but what is the real reason that that w- – that, I mean, this is too personal an example to be really right. legitimate, but you, you kind of get what I'm saying. I, I do. That's the kind of stuff for if, if a stranger walked up to me at a track night and said that, that's the, the you, uh, I'll give an example of what we would do there. They would be late. Right. You missed your first session. Oh, well, you most, you know, I've been to events where they're like, no, you missed the driver's meeting, you can't drive. Yeah. I, I, we would I, specifically say, okay, I'll find the person who can give you a one-on-one driver's meeting, and then you can, gr- you can drive. Right. And you might, you might, you know, need to wait a minute, but 
I'm, I can accommodate that. There's no reason I have to tell you, no, you can't drive because you were late. Right. Yeah, this year was a little weird because it was the 50th Solo Nationals, and yep. it was literally sold out. Right. And, and there were 30, 100 and some people who, were, who, who did all of the right timing stuff. That's why I'm like, that bad example. Let me who, give it to who, who were told to go home. <laughs> um, but I agree with you. You know, yep. we, we should do whatever we can to, to get people involved. Um, and in, unless there's a really good reason, as long as we can, you know, the competition rules we don't play with because no. it's a competition, yeah. you know, and, and people spending a lot of money to try to win whatever that little piece of, you know, plastic trophy or, sure. or wooden trophy in most cases are. Um, but to let people come and participate, we should be bending over backwards to help people do that. Yeah. Um, absolutely. So. Um, so we're here at the runoffs. You've called a bunch of races already. I'm sure you've got some on the docket for tomorrow. Yep. Um, what's the most fun part for you here? Here? Oh, honestly, like I said at the beginning, I, I love sitting in that booth. Right. It's surreal for both, both leads. Greg Creamer, he was a, gr a voice that I grew up with, yep. watching, watching you know, everything from Speed Vision to Lamar to like, all that stuff. Yeah. Then he was calling my racing. Yeah. That was so cool. And now I'm sitting in the booth with him doing this yeah. and, and doing that with him. And then, and then Fippin was the lead commentator at all the races at Mid-Ohio Trackside. Sure. So I grew up with John Fippin yep. at Mid-Ohio and Greg Creamer on TV. So for me to work with both of them is so freaking cool. Yeah. And then just to be able to be a race fan. And like I said, I specifically think of my job is to share why I think racing is so cool and make it relatable. So I want to – like if somebody has a has a – a beautiful rotation through South Bend and the car just floats to the exit and everything everything was just picturesque and like, oh, that looks so good. Yeah. I'm going to point that out and uh, just make make it understandable what's going on because kind of what we were talking about with like drifting right. always looks crazy. Yeah. So it always looks cool. Uh, stadium trucks always look crazy, yes. so they always look cool. Rally kind of. Uh, grip racing, when it's done really, really well, is most of the time not super dramatic looking. Right. But it is really cool. And Especially I know if you have someone that. who can tell you it's happening. Right. And if I, can, right. if I can help someone understand why it's so cool through my lens, sure. then I'm successful. That's, yeah. that's how I feel. So I just love being a racing fan, watching people be really good at racing. Right. And when they are being really good at racing, talking about it to, in a way that helps people that maybe didn't understand, understand. So you've raced at the pro level. Yeah. You've seen the people who are racing here. I, I, I've always contended that 25% of the people who come up, show up at the runoffs have the skills to go pro racing. Oh, for sure. No question at all. Um, some don't want, want to. That's not their aspiration. Great. Um, s some would love to. Don't have the money. Understandable. Um, um, it seems to me, though, that more we used to have a lot more of our SCCA's best stepping up into pro drives. And it seems like that's happening less and less now. Sure. Any idea why? Well, I think it's getting exponentially more expensive. Sure. Uh, on, on a scale, on a, at a rate and on a scale that is actually really difficult to actually obtain, uh, understand. Yeah. I mean, just, it, I think it was this for a long time, and then it was this, and then it was this, and we're on like this right yeah. now. Yeah. Uh, I also think that there are other places people are cutting their teeth, specifically the number of offerings that like endurance races mm -hmm. give you. Uh, that are very close, like specifically WRL is basically mini IMSA. Now. Right. It's that the spend to race GT4 cars for eight-hour races is almost the same as the spend to go race right. IMSA GS. And there's the same number of events, and there's the same amount of you know competition. Right. Uh, so if you're if you're looking at going IMSA GT4 racing, 
there's not necessarily a place you do that here sure. at the pinnacle, but you do that at an endurance race for a couple times, and now you've cut your teeth doing the same thing. Right. Uh, so I think there's some of it there. And then uh, I, I don't know. I don't know that there's – I guess I'm, I'm trying to think if there's any other correlation. I th the, obviously, the Mazda ladder is still very relevant right. here. Um, and I think there's some, some relevance still with the open-wheel ladder. Right. Uh, not necessarily as blatantly, but, but other than that – they may have diverted slightly on the you know, relevance the, the, of the, what's happening the here. The open wheel with the ladder cars frustrates me. It does. Because it's really easy to go into the next step above Formula 4, uh, SECA Formula sure. uh, racing, and go and buy a pro ride for a weekend. Yeah. It's not unobtainium. Sure. But it's so competitive there mm -hmm. that if those people would spend their money here, learn how to drive the car properly, and then make that jump. They're going to have a whole better experience and have some money left over when they do it. Sure. Or they might find here that they don't really want to do that, mm -hmm. you know. But I see so many kids going into Formula 2000 and, and the Skippy Pro Series and all this kind of stuff when they're really not ready to drive those cars yet. Sure. Um, but the money's there, and those Pro Series, those teams will take pretty much anybody's money and maybe to go that's, race a car. Maybe that's a better point and a better way to think of it than my, my analogy of the exponential growth of what it costs. Maybe it's that more and more people are realizing they can just go straight to that level. Right. And they're willing to spend and they're willing to learn at that level with higher consequences and higher, you know, higher numbers involved and all that. Um, I got so lucky that the lowest level of professional racing was B-Spec when right. I wanted to do I mean, That was a five-year window. I got in in the middle of it. Right. And I got really lucky to get in with Honda early uh, or, or in any way at all. Right. But if B-Spec didn't exist in professional racing, there was no, there was never a chance of me getting into right. professional racing. Right. Um, I know this isn't the best business model, but if there was a, a professional way that that level of budget was accommodated, right? Well, I don't care what kind of car it is. Uh, I think that would be important, but also it's been shown time and time again that that tends to fail eventually. Right. Uh, and I, I kind of hate that because I think it's just it's the spend isn't there enough yeah. to justify it being worth SRO's time right. or insert series here's time right well i've got to get you out of here because you have Do to I? run to well you got some time yeah um but um but i want to get you up there so you can take your time and have fun with no, it no rush. um um but for, for folks who are watching this after the runoffs who maybe didn't get a chance to watch our 12 hours of coverage every day i was hoping you'd ask this give me give you, you've called how many races already uh eight eight okay yes. um tell tell people which couple of races they should make sure they see honestly i have had i haven't had a dud yet but the one that I left with the biggest, like, emotional response to, because I think... Oh, there's something else, but go. Go and ahead. You, we may be rolling right into this. Yes. My, my favorite race was the last one I called, and it was STL. Okay. And I think, so the, other than kind of maybe Spec Miata, Spec Racer Ford, Formula V, where there's a lot of drafting, right. B-Spec might get lumped in there, we have the illusion that a really good race is a race where there are three cars in the same camera frame the entire time. Right. And they may not pass each other very often, but that was a great race. They were so close right. to each other. That was awesome. STL was a race, a race, ra like a proper, there was racecraft being executed. Danny Stain, Joe Moser, back and forth, back and forth, back right. and forth. Neither car seemed to be over the other, and you could see them tweaking their racecraft just slightly and tweaking just the precision of, like, getting out of hog pen or setting up a pass through a NASCAR into left hook at three and four. The, it, it was spectacular for the first half. And then they sort of settled in, and you could tell that Danny Stain had run out of ideas of what to really do other than I can go just as fast as Joe. I'm just going to sit here and wait for it. And Joe won because he never gave Danny 
the perfect opportunity to do right. anything with that last bit. Yeah. And it was just, it was like, I'm a racing fan. I left almost emotionally like, like oh, I was so charged from that race. But uh, Spec Miata was obviously incredible for the second half once we got to restart. Right. Uh, F production was really compelling as well. Uh, but I called, you know, I called GT2 and that one was solid. We've had also, please go, if nothing else, We've had three of the greatest runoffs interviews, <laughs> interviews of all, of all time. time. Yes. Is that where you were going with this? No, no, but I, we'll go there, but too. This so is good to go. The American Sedan was a great race, but uh, Danny Richardson's interview at the end, hilarious. Uh, Jared Odrick won GT2. His interview is one of the greatest I've ever seen, and the YouTube chat was just greatest of all time. Yeah. Great, it was amazing. And then uh, I was a personal fan of Cliff Iver's response to getting hit in his race. Oh, I, I, <laughs> I His heard. little interview in, from F Production, yeah. he finished second, yeah. was pretty funny. I've got a... I've got my new favorite quote. That's a professional dip. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> From that one. Exactly. Um, yeah, those interviews were fantastic. Um, definitely worth worth checking out. Yeah. Um, now, what I wanted to ask you about is, for the first time in the history of the Sports Car Club of America yesterday, mm. we awarded a co-champion in Spec Miata. Yeah. Um, in any, any, any race, actually. We've n it's never been done. Uh, it was a legit photo finish. Um, the transponders in the cars were in different positions. So across the line of the transponders, it was three one-thousandths of a second yes. uh, between first and second place. Um, Which was roughly calculated at about five inches. It, three, it, three thousandths at that speed. Should have been five inches. Was a, and that's literally about how far apart. The, the transponders were mounted in the fender five to six inches apart from each other. That's on crazy. Car. Like, they went through every single way to find a winner, to my knowledge. Right. There's two photos. They compared where the bumpers are. They compared where the shadows were. Right. Uh, I mean, there was I, – I buy it. I think it's so cool. I Like, I'm, I'm into it. So there's your – I was going to say, do you think that a Coke champion is the right decision here? From all of the data that I've seen. And right. I, I mean, I don't know what sort of system they have up there. Uh, apparently, they had two people watching right. that both couldn't call it. They had a camera. I haven't seen – Maybe I haven't seen what that camera showed. I've seen the pictures that they used right. to publish. Obviously, yep. that's on the website. You can Correct. Go see that's it. on SSCA.com. I mean, I'm convinced. So I, yeah. I can't. I have not been able to find a way to put a hole in that, that so ruling. So if you were one of the two drivers, well, first of all, if you were the driver who was initially called the not winner, you've got to be ecstatic. <laughs> oh, sure. You know, because well, we when it first came out, um, I think it was Partis was, was declared the winner. Well, on timing and scoring by three thousandths, but we were we were uh, immediately we were basically like, this is not official. So right. he was unofficially interviewed as the winner. Right. Uh, Nick Bruni was unofficially interviewed as second place. Correct. And it was ruled later through all of this time. You know, both cars pass tech. Obviously, right. both cars get you go through this whole procedure. Uh, and it was officially declared they were co-winners. Now, right. it's a probably a little easier because they're teammates. Sure. They know each other. They were working together in the race, that kind of thing. But uh, Would you be okay being a co-national champion? I don't know. I mean, it's, I'm glad it, it's it, not me. It, it's, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it will, you'll, you'll get the national. You don't get half a national championship I point, so. I don't think. I think so. Um, um, but in this particular case, I, I don't know. You're right. I, I, I've seen everything. I think I've seen most of what you've seen. Yeah. And, and I don't. It was pretty much a dead heat. The only thing I could say is maybe there was a lack of technology placed in a way that it was able to be ruled. Because right. I have, I have not seen. So from what my from what I know, I think I've seen the picture where the camera is lined up at the timing loop. Right. You can see the crack in the track, but the painted line is a little further up. Sure. So I'm pretty sure they're. I mean, they're going off the timing loop, and the cars and the shadows are synced literally perfectly yeah. at that. It's timing Just loop crack. Just crazy. So I, I, I like. If there's a better technology that exists to be able yeah. to rule something like that, sure, maybe have that next year. But for now, I think it's I think it's first cool, right. second completely legitimate to do that. 
uh, and I, they both seem thrilled. I yeah. mean, maybe, they, maybe they'll tell their personal friends and family <laughs> otherwise <laughs> behind the scenes. Exactly. Tomo, thank you. Appreciate it. I've thank been you. wanting to do this for a long time. Yeah. And uh, doing here at the runoffs can't be a better place, right? No. And thank you to our adoring crowd. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You can't hear them clapping, but they're all clapping. We're right behind Victory Lane, but so we do. We're smelling a lot of champagne. <laughs> yeah, there's a residual champagne. Exactly. Just it's in not. The air. It's not as good as a contact high. No. But it's pretty close. And it's not as good as when you win the champagne. That's right. You can tolerate the smell a little more. That's right. Absolutely. All right. That's going to do it for another edition of Inside the SCCA. Uh, we do uh, live shows every Wednesday night, except for this week, uh, on YouTube. This will be on YouTube Wednesday night. It just won't be live. Uh, we also take the podcasts and we turn them into regular podcasts, and they'll drop on. Fridays. Uh, follow the Racing w- Racing Wire Net on YouTube to find out who our next guest is. Leave a comment, uh, especially if it's a good one. If it's a bad one, go leave it on someone else's channel. You leave uh, it on mine. Why not? No, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. I'll be your buffer. All right, you guys have yourself a great week. We'll see you next time.